Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Right out of the gates in this new year, we are so blessed to share with you what I think is one of the most consequential podcasts I've ever heard in my life. Matt Frad's Pints with Aquinas interview with Ralph Martin, particularly with regard to his very significant book, Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. And we do direct you to hear the rest of the episode at Pints with Aquinas on Spotify or YouTube. For a world yearning to see the face of God, the family is the answer. So please join us in that journey at ilovemyfamily.us and please help us continue this mission by clicking on that partnership tab. Now on with the program. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Um, Renewal Ministries is doing phenomenal work. I was telling you before the show, your YouTube channel has really taken off. People love hearing what you and Pete Herbeck have to say. And I think it's because you're addressing a lot of the crises in the church and the culture. And yet you're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord through it all. So you have the orthodoxy and the straight talk of, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when COVID hit, you know, all our international travel was, was canceled. All our domestic travel was canceled. So we said, what are we supposed to do? So we decided to try to speak to people now through our YouTube channel. We had maybe 7,000 subscribers when COVID hit, and I never really did YouTube videos. And so Peter and I began to alternate weeks, and it's, it's really grown. We have over 54,000 now, and it just seems like people want to have a clear voice. You know, like when the trumpet doesn't give a clear sound, right. who's going to come for battle? So we feel like the Lord's given us some clarity about what the gospel is, some clarity about who Jesus is, some clarity about, yes, indeed, we got big problems in the church right now, but it's okay because Jesus is Lord. That's great. It doesn't feel like we do have a clear trumpet blast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like with John Paul at the helm, we had somebody we loved and trusted. And the church may have been a mess, but we, we felt he was on our side. Benedict, the same thing. Pope Francis, we had high hopes for, but it doesn't seem like we have a strong, holy leader in Pope Francis. You well, tell me if I stated that too well, strongly well, and feel free to. Well, he may be strong and he may be holy. Only God can judge, but he's certainly not clear. You know, and uh, we are getting a lot of conflicting signals. We are getting a lot of ambiguity. We are getting a lot of very troubling actions and decisions. So it doesn't, you know, some of these things we don't have to guess at what's going on. We just can say it's objectively bad. Okay, see, this is good. What you just did there was really good because you're right. I, I shouldn't have made that judgment about his holiness or whatever because that is, that's an internal thing. Um, but we can point to actual real things that we're seeing with our own eyes, yeah. and, and that's good. Okay. Yeah, that, and, and a lot of people don't want to admit that we're seeing those things, but we have to kind of – if we're going to have solutions that are realistic, we have to be real about what the problem is. And we got some very significant problems in Rome, like when Pope Francis kind of uh, appointed a new person to head up the John Paul II Institute of Marriage and the Family and put Archbishop Paglia in charge of it, who is mostly known for the homoerotic mural he painted in his cathedral and bankrupting his diocese. And when he removed the two professors who were really experts in John Paul II's theology of marriage and family life and reappointed two people who were dissenters from Catholic doctrine on contraception and even wrote articles opening to homosexual relationships. We say, what the heck is going on here? 
And but but nobody's pursuing that. It's just been it's been done. It's going on, and nobody's nobody's asking the tough questions at Vatican press conferences about how could you have appointed people who are undermining Catholic teaching to John Paul II's Institute on Marriage and the Family, and then of course you have, you know, the Amazon Synod, and you know they say one picture is worth a thousand words, and. That picture of people prostrating themselves in the Vatican Garden, one Franciscan in his habit, in the presence of Pope Francis, venerating, clearly venerating, little statues of naked pregnant ladies that mysteriously the Vatican press office would never tell us what they signified or where they came from or who was paying for them. And they were carried in a canoe into St. Peter's Basilica. They were there at the dais, you know, during the synod. And then the first person to identify who it really was was Pope Francis after some German lay people threw them into the river. God uh, bless him. Tiber, yeah. And, and Pope Francis thanked the Italian police for recovering Pachamama. Pachamama. Yeah. So it's uh, the cat's out of the bag from Pope Francis. And Pachamama, of course, is an earth goddess from Latin America. And, you know, so we're saying like, you know, and then, of course, in the post-synodal Amazon exhortation that he wrote, he replied to criticism about that, saying, well, you can use these symbols without idolatrous intent. intent." Mm. So, okay, they weren't intending to worship idols, but it sure sure looked like something was going on where veneration was being paid to an earth goddess, you know? And so, this is confusing for people. I mean, and then, of course, the, the bishop who was appointed in charge of, the main person in charge of the content of the synod on the Amazon, bragged that in 39 years of ministry in the Amazon, he never baptized a single person. So evangelization, what are we What are we talking about? What kind of conflicting signals are we giving? So I could just go through a dozen things like that, you know, including the most recent thing with the visit with President Biden. Well, let's do that um, because I, yeah, I was in the airport and I opened up, I think, a copy of the Washington Post and it said that Pope Francis said that Joe Biden was a Catholic in good standing and can keep receiving Holy Communion. Now, to be fair, Biden seems confused about a number of things, and so it's possible that he misunderstood. I think most of us don't suspect that's the case. Uh, but the Vatican press, is that right? They, they didn't clarify no. what had happened. No, they still, they still won't. So this is what, what this they is, say is a private conversation. We don't comment on private conversations. Yeah, you're the theologian, so correct me if I'm wrong. But if someone is in grave sin public, manifest grave sin. Uh, receiving Eucharist is a sacrilege. Yep. Whether or not it's public, it's it's a sacrilege. Right. So what probably happened, I'll say probably, you can back away from that if you want, but is that Pope Francis encouraged and sacrilege, which means that his soul and the soul of Biden aren't, there's a reason to think, aren't in a good place, and we should be praying for our brother Pope Francis, who may have just done something incredibly awful. Yeah. Well, I think objectively- (laughs) Talk me off the ledge if I'm going too far. (laughs) Well, we don't know what happened. We we don't know really what was spoken about. Uh, Abortion wasn't on the agenda, uh, the official agenda. Hopefully it was on the private agenda. Hopefully Pope Francis would have talked to him out of concern for his soul saying, Joe, you know, you need to repent here. You know, this is really a very serious thing you're doing, advocating killing babies on even a wider scale. That's really that's really gravely wrong. And you really need to repent, you know, and you shouldn't be going to communion. Now, obviously, 
Pope Francis didn't say that because it would have been harder for Joe to say what he said. Uh, so we don't know what he said. Um, maybe Joe said, you know, I'm trying to be a good Catholic, and the Pope encouraged him, you know, like, yes, I'm glad you're trying to be a good Catholic. That's good. And Joe kind of added something that, you know, obviously that means I should still go to communion. So we don't know if it was a setup. You know, we don't know if it was a setup by the Biden advisors to kind you of— You are uh, very good at this. Charitable. You're very charitable. Yeah. I think yeah. for the rest of us, we're just so tired yeah. of making excuses yeah. that we're just done. That's kind of where I'm at. But yeah. I think what you're doing is, is the way to go. Well, we, we, don't, we don't know. He, it could have been a setup where J- Joe said something vague about yeah. being a good Catholic and the Pope said, yeah, you're a good Catholic type of thing. And uh, Or maybe he said something like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, just follow the guidance of your bishop, you know, Cardinal Gregory, you know, who is on record for, you know, giving Joe communion, you know, type of thing. But here's what really troubles me. Vatican diplomacy, Vatican protocol probably overshadowed the concern for the salvation of Joe's soul because the Vatican never comments on personal conversations hardly. Although there's a local pastor in, in Michigan who was trying to address the confusion in his people about this whole event and said, uh, you know, uh, if, if Joe came out of there saying the Pope feels like it's not such a big deal about, uh, you know, the sexual abuse of children, the Vatican probably would have, you know, felt like they had to kind of, right. you know, correct that saying, yes. you, know, I, you know, this was a misunderstanding. The Pope didn't say that because the world wouldn't have liked that. The, this the, is the, exactly the, right. the world, the culture wouldn't have liked that. He would have lost his, you know, credibility, popularity. So why wouldn't they consider abortion even, you know, graver in a certain way, killing people? Uh, why wouldn't they cl- make a clarification? So you could say Vatican diplomacy, Vatican protocol. They didn't want to embarrass the American president, but Vatican diplomacy and protocol can't trump the concern for the salvation of souls or scandalizing, literally scandalizing, causing people to stumble and fall, uh, to believe that it's no big deal about abortion and we're making too much out of it, strengthening the hands of the American bishops who are in that camp, which is a very bad camp to be in. I mean, there's really a division opening now on the American bishop between those who really are manifesting that they believe the church teaching and those that are sort of waffling and worse than waffling, which makes you wonder whether what John Paul II said years ago, when it was just Cardinal, uh, you know, Quartilla, that we're we're in a final confrontation between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between the church and the anti-church, between Christ and the anti-church. Like, there's really a different gospel going on right now in the Catholic Church. There's really a different church, which is a church of accommodation to the culture, uh, cowering before the world. And so, I think it's scandalous what Pope Francis did do and didn't do. You know, and. Uh, you know, the, the, the purpose of the Catholic Church is not primarily to be in good relationship with the nations of the world and not embarrass presidents who are living fornication. The president of Brazil came to the Vatican and received communion with his mistress, you know, in St. Peter's Basilica. You know, uh, you know, we're saying, well, we shouldn't embarrass heads of state. Well, guess what? You know, our primary mission is calling the whole world to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And we can't let diplomacy and protocol trump the gospel. And that's, I think, what's happening. Awaken, 
You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us on the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. Yeah, I think what we all want to know what to do now is what to do now. Um, because those who are blowing the trumpet on on the stuff that's coming out of the, the Vatican or whatever often have a lot of good things to say, but it's almost like they 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 they, they wouldn't exist or continue to make their funds if they stop saying all the negative things that are happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably it's probably a good thing that they're saying many of the things that they're saying, but it does tend to breed a sort of cynical spirit. Maybe I've even fallen into that. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, but, but uh, surely that's not the answer, just to keep ingesting, you know, uh, uh, ecclesial politics. And- yeah. Well, we, we, need, we need to remember people are tending to get discouraged or cynical or frustrated or fed up or whatever, and they tend to fall into our reactionary camps of one, one kind or another type of thing, like clutching for security onto yeah. certain things, uh, falling into mentality of suspicion and fear, uh, connecting our ecclesiastical frustrations with frustrations with the government and mixing things together. You know? yes. So I, I just think we need to remember that all this is happening under the providence of God. Now, this is really, really important, and most people don't understand how radical the providence of God is. There's nothing that's happening that's not being permitted to happen by the Lord, and he's got a plan to bring good out of it. So we got to say, what, what's the good here? Well, one good is that corruption and confusion within the church is being exposed, uh, hopefully giving people a chance to repent. But if not repent, uh, just judgment perhaps is coming. Because God is going to judge unrepentant wickedness. God is going to judge false shepherds and false teachers. God is going to judge people who are misleading the flock. You know, we have all kinds of prophets in the Old Testament talking about church, you know, church leadership at that time who were calling virtue vice and vice virtue and weren't giving a clear sound from the trumpet and were, you know, mudding the works and, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, maybe the Lord's setting things up for, for judgment. But certainly what he's trying to do is bring purification to the church. I I have a chapter in the book I wrote on that, chapter 5, it says, Stop straddling the issue. Mm -hmm. I think individual Catholics have to now make a deeper personal choice than ever before and answer the question, who do you think he is? Who do you think Jesus is? If Jesus is really the Lord, the only sensible response to make to him is total commitment and total obedience, eagerly. Mm. wanting to know what he teaches, eagerly wanting to follow what he's asking us to do, really becoming missionary disciples, which which is a very radical thing to become, not just somebody who believes in Jesus, but somebody who obeys Jesus, follows Jesus, and wants other people to come to Jesus. And, and a lot of Catholics need to be awakened to that kind of radical commitment to the Lord because it's the only commitment that Jesus asked for in the gospel. Jesus is not asking for lukewarm commitment from anybody. He's saying, unless you love me more than mother and father, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And unless you renounce all you possess, you're not worthy to be my disciple. So if we want to really be called a disciple of Jesus, and that's a new buzzword in the church today, isn't it, Matt? Mm. You know, everybody's talking about discipleship. But disciple is a radical commitment to Jesus, a radical commitment of obedience, of love, of personal loyalty. And I think the Lord's trying to gather together a remnant. I think he's trying to gather a nucleus in the Catholic Church, very much like Pope Benedict years ago when he was just Father Ratzinger, where he prophesied that the church is going to get smaller. 
It's going to lose its buildings. It's going to lose its prestige in society. Uh, it's going to lose its 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 reputation. It's going to lose its money. And but out of that, the Lord's going to bring together a, a white hot fire of of love for the Lord and love for people. And then he also prophesied, you know, not in the form of prophecy. He's just saying, I think this is what's going to happen. But I think he was really seeing things. Out of that's going to come people who are become uns- unspeakably lonely in a technological society are going to stumble across this little band of disciples and find a home they never knew existed. So I just think something big is going on, Matt. Glory to God. I think something really big is going on, and it's totally under the control of the Lord. So people ask me if I'm discouraged. I'm not. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. The Lord's really about something very significant about the judgment of the wicked and the gathering of a remnant. Now, I think many of this, many of these people recognize intellectually that there's probably been times throughout church history that we've had a great deal of confusion and sin from l- l- leaders in the yeah. church and mm-hmm. even from the Pope. But can you maybe shed some light on that? Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this yes. throughout history where there's yeah. been tremendous chaos and confusion and how the churches. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and people say, you know, is this the worst thing ever? Is this the worst time ever? I don't know. But we do have some unique things right now that weren't present before. We really have confusion in the church happening at the same time as an incredible array of the powers of this world against Christ in the church. It reminds me of Psalm 2 yeah. where it says the kings of the world array themselves against the Lord and his anointed. So all the levers of power now in culture today, all the levers of government, all the levers of entertainment, even sports. Yeah. How about this? Professional sports kind of becoming woke, you know? Mm. Professional sports kind of persecuting people for not going along with the global elite agenda. Uh, education. I mean, it's, it's incredible how public schools – are, have so quickly become indoctrination centers for gender confusion and homosexuality and uh, disobeying your parents and don't telling your parents, separating parents from children. You know, so, I mean, it's like, uh, wow. I mean, there's a takeover about every kind of, you know, avenue of influence in our society by by something really inimical to Christ and the church. And I, I, I don't think you can explain how quick and how thorough it's been without supernatural power. It really reminds me of something Pope Benedict said when after he retired. Could, could I read that Please. to you? Yeah, it's uh, yeah because it, we do often kind of point to secret groups within the church, but there's also the demonic, yes, uh, who are seeking the destruction of souls and yeah. Christ's church. Yes, and Paul says our battle is primarily not against flesh and blood, not about political parties, not about Planned Parenthood, not about this that, or the other thing. Those are instruments. Of, of, of spiritual powers that are just incredibly intelligent and incredibly hate-filled towards the human race and towards Christ. And so people without even being aware of it can be actually instruments of the satanic, you know. And, you know, what's the definition of the Antichrist? Somebody who refuses to acknowledge Christ, you know. And these movements, these organizations, these parties are opposed to the truth about Jesus. They don't mind a false Jesus. They don't mind a Jesus in a church that you can use to as like a chaplain to their agenda. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little concerned that that's what the Catholic Church is being lured into. Uh, they're they're being lured into almost being like a chaplain to the UN or a chapel to the chaplain to the global reset. But anyway, mm. Pope, Pope Benedict said, 100 years ago, everybody would have considered it to be absurd to speak of a homosexual marriage. 
Today, one is being excommunicated by society if one opposes it. The same applies to abortion and to the creation of human beings in the laboratory. You know, latest announcement, we just kind of did a, a, a blend between a mouse fetus and mouse cells and human cells. You know, I mean, you know, this stuff is really crazy stuff is really happening. Then he goes on to say, modern society is in the middle of formulating an anti-Christian creed. And if one opposes it, one is being punished by society with excommunication. Mm. The fear of the spiritual power of the Antichrist is natural, but it really needs the response of prayers on the part of an entire diocese and of the universal church in order to resist it. So, you know, not too long ago. Wow, that's so well put. Yeah. It, you'd think that he was responding today, you know, yeah. not however many years ago that yeah. was. And not too long ago to have somebody with his respect uh, talk about the Antichrist, you'd label it like, come on now, this is a little crazy. You're getting into end time speculation, you know. But he's saying, People are beginning to sense that something big is going on that's really, really big and bad. And there's a natural fear about the spiritual power of the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. But then he says it needs to be countered by prayer, you know, type of thing. And so, uh, I mean, there's just so many places we could go with this, Matt. You know, so many different directions. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, spiritual mm -hmm. armor. Um, you know, what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about the Antichrist, you know. I mean, this is just so many Yeah, it does feel like for too long we haven't recognized the, the demonic. Yeah. I remember sitting with a nun and a couple of Catholic women, and they found an old prayer book. This was back in 2003. Mm -hmm. And they were reading the St. Michael prayer and were astonished at how ridiculous it was. They had never heard of it before. Yeah. And they were laughing at it and yeah. how silly it was. Yeah. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us on the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. Archbishop Gomez, just a couple days ago, said something almost identical to what Pope Benedict is saying, and that's pretty amazing for the president of the Bishops' Conference knowing that the bishops are divided, knowing Thank that he's going to take flack for God. saying something like this. He what said something very he similar. He said that these movements of kind of global reset, uh, and he mentions Black Lives Matter, and he mentions other things, uh, are actually in the, for in the process of forming an alternate worldview and an alternate religion that has no place for Christ in the church. Amen, yes. And he says, God really, bless him. He says, we need to really be honest about this. That's what we're dealing with now. We're not dealing with a, you know, a Christian culture anymore. We're dealing with an alternate religion, an alternate yes. worldview that's coming up that we need to yes. be really realistic uh, about. I'm going to make a T-shirt that says, reject secular dogma. What do you think? <laughs> um, <laughs> what is wokeism? Define it for yeah. me. Well, a lot of it is rooted in something called critical race theory, which basically says the world should be divided into the oppressed and the oppressors. And that the, the key to understanding history is that there's those who have the power and those who don't have the power and those who have the power oppress those who don't have the power. So what we need to do in order to get equity. Yeah, this is Karl Marx. It is. It's class warfare. And, and Archbishop Gomez specifically says that. He says, this is Marxism coming in under all these new labels. And we, we know where that goes. Mm. Now, believe it or not, Putin, the president of Russia, 
about a month ago, gave a long talk where he said, the West is heading towards destruction because it's embracing We're this dead. wokeism. Yeah. Yes. And he says, we tried this. God bless him. Yeah, he says, we tried this. We did this. It leads to a totalitarianism. It leads to eliminating people. It leads to a disaster. I mean, it's not Man. human. He says, this whole gender stuff is not human. He says, yeah. it's not good for human beings. So. So who would have thought that <laughs> ally in Putin? Yeah, that the president of the United States would be leading the charge to a post-Christian anthropology and a post-Christian religion, really. And he's basically sometimes it looks to me like he sold his soul to get elected mm -hmm. because he used to have some reservations about abortion. He used to, he used no, to he's, he's a puppet. Yeah, yeah. He used to. He, but I mean, like when when the radical left put pressure on him to get the nomination, he abandoned any resistance he had to any any curbs on on abortion. So you say, well, what people will do to get power? You know, it's really it's really an awful scary thing. That's why I'm so concerned about the salvation of his soul. Yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, so Putin. So you got the yeah United States president. Yeah. And pushing then, away from Christ and the Putin guy saying the Judeo-Christian tradition about marriage and family and sexuality is uh, is is what human beings need, you know, not that he's, a, you know, an icon of living it necessarily or anything like that. But it's so strange to come out of, out of the Soviet Union, uh, a voice saying, we did this and it was wrong and it was a disaster and you're doing the same thing now. It reminds me of the same thing when the Catholic Church tries to accommodate to the culture I feel like saying, do you see what happened to the mm -hmm. mainline Protestant churches who accommodated to the culture? Yeah. I mean, you can't drive down downtown Ann Arbor right now without First Baptist and First Methodist flying their LGBTQ flags. Yep, I mean, yep. it's like a different religion. It, it's And it's directly contradictory to uh, the deposit of faith, directly contradictory to the teaching of Christ and the apostles. And they're trying to win friends and influence people and get members by changing the message rather than calling people to faith and repentance. So don't you see what's happened to those churches? Don't you see the decline in the Protestant churches? Why are we even thinking about this? Why are the German bishops even thinking of saying this is going to actually help us, you know, win people? People are going to say, What's left to believe in? You know, you're just coming around to the culture. The culture's fine for me. I don't need, you know. What's, what's sad, though, is what you're saying right now is what faithful Catholics were saying 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. But it's just escalated. Yeah, it's really escalated. And there were many voices raised years ago, uh, you know, many voices raised years ago warning about what was coming. But now it's here. You know, persecution is coming. Persecution is here. I know lots of people who are trying to uh, hope that their company they works for don't require them to sign on to things that they can't sign on to. People are getting canceled every day. People are getting removed from social media every day. People are getting fired from their companies or dismissed from their teams because they're not going along with the, the new agenda. And I'm just concerned that a lot of Catholics aren't ready to draw the line someplace and that they're going to be kind of sucked into becoming actually part of the demonic strategy out of fear, out of cowardness, out of weakness. And Jesus clearly says, and he says this in the context of persecution, he says, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven. Now you say, that is so shocking. That is that is so harsh. That is so radical. How, how could justly Jesus say that? You know, what does he expect from weak human beings? And I think the only way of understanding that is that the gift of Jesus to us is so immeasurably precious, so immeasurably, you know, it takes our breath away what God the Father is willing to do 
so that we can be reconciled to him, that we can be forgiven our sins, that we actually could have the gift of eternal life. You know, all these technology billionaires are paying lots of money, hoping that they can extend their lives, you know, and, you know, you know, extending natural life is one thing, and natural life is shot through with sorrow, sin, and ultimate destruction. Supernatural life, like life of the resurrection, life of no more suffering and no more tears, a life of perfect communion of love with each other and with, with the Lord, is what is being offered to us in Jesus. And so to reject Jesus is really a serious thing. You know, uh, Francis Martin, who used to do a lot of teaching here at priest conferences at Steubenville, a very well-known scripture scholar, recently died. He said one of the gravest sins in the New Testament is the sin of unbelief. Yeah. Not to believe the testimony that God the Father has given to his son. Not to believe the testimony of the son himself, the way he spoke with authority that nobody ever spoke like that before, the, the signs and wonders he did. Not to believe the testimony of the apostle who said, we touched him, we felt him, we mm. saw him. This happened. We're witnesses to the resurrection. The resurrection did happen. And then Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is in vain. That's because that means that death has the final word, mm. even over Jesus. You know, so death, death doesn't have the final word. You know, there's really hope for eternal life. Mm. You know, what would you pay for eternal life, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the golden ticket from Willy Wonka, you know? Yeah. It's like, we got the golden ticket, you know? And and uh, it's just so, so I have to think we, we have to prepare Catholics for persecution. We ha And that means helping them to develop a depth of loyalty to Jesus, a depth of relationship to Jesus, depth of personal love for Jesus that they would not deny him, whether it's like soft persecution or hard persecution. But every time I talk about this, I feel like I also need to say, don't worry about what might come in the future. Yes, persecution is coming and you need to kind of make sure you got enough to build the tower, you know, so you need to know that you're in that relationship with the Lord that it's not gonna be easy for you to deny him. But uh, Jesus says, don't worry when they bring you before kings yes. and judges because uh, at that moment it will be given to you what mm. to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you will say at that time, what you should do, what, what stance you should take towards the questioning. You know, sometimes Paul uh, appealed to Rome. He, he used legal, natural methods to... Uh, it wasn't his time to go type of thing. Mm. Other times he used argument, he used debate. Uh, other times he was, you know, snuck out of the city by friends type of thing. But other times he knew that the time had come. And so he went to Jerusalem, even though the prophets were telling him, you're going to be arrested there, you're going to be bound, you know, that type of thing. And then when he was in Rome, he said, I know that I'm about to be poured out like a libation. And the time comes, but... Other times you're supposed to avoid persecution, but Catholics need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. So that means we need to have a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. We really need to love the Holy Spirit. We need to pray, come Holy Spirit. We need to have as much of the Holy Spirit as possible. Amen, amen, amen. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us on the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. Oh, 
I think one of the things that we have to do at least is to start calling things by their proper name. Yes. You've read 1984. Yeah. Uh, get Do away with language, change how we think. Um, the words of heretic, apostatizing. I pronounced that right, didn't I? It's yeah. Not, I always think it's apostatizing. Apostatizing. <laughs> yeah, right. So when we have fellow Catholics, oh, they fell away. No, they, apost- they apostatized. They mm-hmm. rejected the gift given them. Yeah. And we have prominent Catholics doing that, like Audrey Assad, who was mm-hmm. a beautiful Catholic musician, who was apostatized. Bless her. I pray for her. But she's made it very clear. And there yeah. are others who are doing it. We have to use words like sodomy instead of gay. Yeah. Uh, fornication right. instead of hooking up. Right. Adultery instead of cheating. Cheating. Right. This isn't a game. Yeah. Uh, this is at least, and then we have to apply those ugly words to our own ugly behavior mm-hmm. if we are engaging in these things yeah. and go to war on our ego, as it were, in the sacrament of confession. We can't keep pussyfooting around with sin and we can't keep pointing to the sin of others to make our own sin seem more bearable. Uh, God is not going to ask me about the sins of Joe Biden when uh, the judgment comes for Amen. me. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I have to. I have to want to, I have to hate sin in my own yeah. life and, and have to be more committed to doing away with the, my own ugly sin than I would be if I had cancer. What would I be willing to bloody yeah. do? Yeah. yeah. Man. How much would I not be willing to pay? Where wouldn't I be willing to travel right. if I thought, oh, gee, I might be dead here? Yeah. And then I apply that to my sin and I just yeah. find myself lazy. Yeah. And yawning and no, pathetic. Really no, I, you know, amen, amen. You know, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better to enter the kingdom missing an arm or missing an eye than to go down to hell with an intact body. Mm. So Jesus isn't asking us to actually literally cut those things out, but he's saying, do whatever it takes to get free of serious sin. Mm. And he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Rather be afraid of the death of soul and body in hell. So, Catholics got to get their priorities right, you know. Yeah. The, the 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 biggest problem in the world is sin, you know, and 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 that re, that rebellion against God, that indifference to God, that refusal to worship Him, that ingratitude towards the Creator, the not valuing the precious gift of Jesus, you know. So uh, yeah, we we got to really. Just, just what you said, really. And I think we have to band together, too. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've so loved about moving to Steubenville, Ohio, is I know five or six families on my street who love Jesus Christ yeah. and want to be faithful. Right. And if I was to abandon my wife in cowardice uh, or abandon my family, I know I would have people who would, like, smack me around <laughs> yeah. in the sense. Yeah. They would they would corner me. They, right. they would, uh, you know, and that's obviously an extreme example. They would admonish the sinner. They would admonish the sinner. Yeah. And uh, But I lived in Atlanta prior to this, and my closest friend lived a 15-minute drive away. Yeah. And the church was a 30-minute drive away. Yeah. And I know not everybody can move to yeah. different places around the country, but I feel like Living in this society is difficult enough without yeah. good brothers and sisters to worship with. Yeah. It's almost like finding a family in the modern world is like finding a child lost in the forest. You think you will not survive unless you have help. Yeah. The modern family is everything yeah, in modern yeah. society is aimed at destroying it and sifting us like wheat. Yeah. We have to do whatever we can, I think, to plug ourselves in with other sinners, yes, but people who want to be holy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I 
And I have a very practical example of that. My wife started, a, and her sister who lives near us, which is really a blessing, they started a neighborhood Bible study. And they just reached out to various neighbors, you know, some they knew already as Catholic. They asked the local parish for the names of Catholics that live in the neighborhood that they didn't know and invited them to the Bible study. So out of that, maybe about 15 women have gotten connected and they're really supporting each other in a very significant way. You know, they're doing a weekly Bible study and uh, it's, it's sort of like that you need to find other people that you can make the journey with that can strengthen you, encourage yes. you, and they're reaching out. They're they're kind of challenging me to do something for the husbands. Good, do it, do it. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> do it yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, this is not a comedy we've found ourselves yeah. in. This yeah. is Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. So those women over a cup of coffee studying the Bible are like going to war. Yeah. And I think if you try to understand your life, in any other way, yeah. then you have a target on your back and yeah. someone hates you yeah. intensely. Yeah, you won't understand your yeah. life. Yeah. I won't understand my life. It'll just seem like a series of inconveniences yeah. and I can never seem to quite be happy as I yeah. wish to be. Yeah. And these health issues keep coming up and if yeah. only they wouldn't, then I could finally be. Right. It's like, no, we're, we're at war. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're concerned about the salvation of people in the neighborhood. They're praying yes. for people for, for conversion. They're inviting people. They're trying to be a witness through charity. You know, they bring meals to people that need meals, things like that. So they're living Good. the Catholic life, you know, yes. type of thing. And so everybody needs to be connected somehow. Maybe you can get connected through a Bible study at, at your parish. Uh, maybe you can start to get together with people in your neighborhood that you know have Christian faith, you know, even ecumenically. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, we need we need each other. Or sometimes with families, you know, sometimes families are blessed by having, you know, blessed uncles and aunts and mm. nieces and nephews and really kind of praying together when you're together in family gatherings and things like that, strengthening families, you know. Yeah. I just got together with my daughter and son-in-law who live here in Steubenville with their five kids. And, you know, they're... A, a blessed family that's following the Lord, and you know when you're raising kids, there's always challenges, you know. But uh, they're they're there with the Lord with those challenges, and it's mm. good. Yeah. I but, gave them all a little holy card last night. What was it? Well, it was something that the Apostolate for Family Consecration, which is just yeah. down the yeah, road, we were there. printed, and it's the image that the three children of Fatima had during the miracle of the Son. Like during the miracle of the Son. The three children, Jacinta, Francisco, and Lucia, saw things that nobody else saw. Like Mary was showing herself in different different tableaus, so to speak. And one of the tableaus was Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus blessing the people. Mm. And so tell us about Fatima, because I know that you've been yeah. uh, had maybe a renewed interest yeah. and devotion to yeah. Our Lady of Fatima. Tell us how that happened and, and yeah. what we need to know. Yeah, I think it's incredibly relevant for, for right now. Uh, you know, um, 1916, three little children, brother and sister Jacinta and Francisco and their cousin Lucy, uh, seven years, uh, six years old, eight years old, and nine years old were tending the sheep. They were ordinary Catholic kids. They weren't particularly noted for holiness. They were part of a Catholic culture, so they tried to say the rosary every day, but they said it in a very shorthand way. They say, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, 50 times, you know, so they wanted to get back to their games, you know, whatever they're doing. So they're doing their super short and abbreviated rosary, and this image appears of a shimmering person. They said it looked like a 15-year-old boy, radiant and light, and he introduced himself as the angel of Fatima. And he said, uh, I want to 
teach you a prayer. And so the angel, I don't know, how much detail do you want? I like this. Yeah, okay. This is helpful. People yeah. are out there this watching is real. this. This They've is heard real. of Fatima and they don't know much else about it. So This, this is, is real and, and what the angel and Mary ask of them are also being asked of us. And it's very important that we pay attention because it's, it relates to what we're going through right now. So anyway, the, the angel bows down, puts his forehead on the floor and says, I adore you. I believe in you. I adore you. I hope in you and I love you and I ask your pardon for those who don't believe in you and don't adore you and don't hope in you and don't love you. And then the angel said, uh, offer the sufferings that come your way as reparation for sin and for the conversion of sinners and say this prayer. And and he, he left. So ever since, for the rest of their life, they put their foreheads on the floor and prayed that prayer, not in public, but when they were by themselves. Uh, and then uh, that was in spring. Then in summer, the angel returned. This time he was a little a little more direct, and he said, uh, what are you doing? Pray. You know, uh, pr- pray for the conversion of sinners. Pray for reparation for sin. And then he taught them another prayer about uh, reverence for the Eucharist and uh reparation for all the offenses against the Eucharistic Lord and the Mary. And then uh, he appeared one other time. And um, and then the next year, uh, another shimmering form came to the mother attending the sheep. And uh, it was a beautiful lady from heaven. She didn't identify herself. She just says, I'm from heaven. And they they never identified her as Mary, although they probably had their suspicions until she told them because she kept, they kept saying, tell us who you are. Give us a sign so people will stop beating us up and start believing us. And Mary asked them to do the same thing that the angel asked. She said, offer your sufferings for reparation for sin and for the conversion of sinners. And then the only thing she repeated in all six apparitions, she said, say the rosary every day for peace because the world is in danger. And she says, this, this war, World War I, is going to end soon. You know, this was 1917 now, so the war ended in 1918. She says, but unless there's repentance, there's going to be a worse war comes. And then she says, when you see a certain sign in the sky, know that the war is about to come. It was the Aurora Borealis that happened just before Germany invaded Czechoslovakia. And uh, we know that 20 million people died in World War I. 50 million people died in World War II, so there wasn't repentance, and it was a very severe punishment, a very severe judgment on godlessness. Now, I don't think we're in a better situation than the people were in between World War I and World War II. In fact, I think it's accelerated in a, in a really negative direction. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us in the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. Catholic countries like Ireland have crumbled. You know, uh, there used to be a number of European countries that were holding out against the secularizing tendency. It used to be Ireland, Malta, Poland. Poland's still holding out, but by by a thread. Uh, Hungary and Slovakia are sort of in the battle too. Uh, but Malta legalized divorce, and it was like you pulled a thread out of a cloth, and the whole thing is kind of unraveling right now. I was doing a retreat for priests in Malta a couple of years ago. I was talking to the auxiliary bishop, and he said, the government 
no longer even consults us. All they're doing is consulting us, these radical change groups, the LGBTQ pressure groups. And they, they know that the people don't believe us anymore. They know that people, we're 90% Catholic. They, they think we're a non-entity. We, we don't count. People don't really believe the teaching of the church anymore. And it's just all crumbling there in Malta. And then in Ireland, when, you know, 800 years of poverty and persecution only strengthened the Irish people in their commitment, and they sent out missionaries all over the world, way out of proportion to their population, Irish missionaries all over the world. I was talking to an Irish missionary in Rome a couple of years ago for a very famous missionary order, and he said, we don't have any novices anymore, and we just changed our mission statement to include promoting the rights of women. Yeah, they don't deserve any more novices. Taking That's why they ecology, yeah. And they were just like sort of aping the world. They were, they, were, they were adopting the world's agenda, thinking that was somehow going to help them attract vocations. It's such an incredible blindness, darkness, veil. They don't understand the gospel anymore. They don't know Jesus anymore. Yeah. They're, they're, I used to live there for three years. It was godless, mm-hmm. oppressive. Yeah. And then Ireland legalizes abortion not too long ago, and tens of thousands of people flood into the streets of Dublin celebrating that Ireland can now kill babies like the rest of Europe, like we're with it. You know, we've we've joined the modern world. We've thrown off this ancient superstition. How dark is that? It's despicable. Yeah, how tragic is that? And that is the apostasy you're talking about. That's apostatizing. That's rejecting the treasure that God gave the Irish nation through St. Patrick and all the Irish saints and all the Irish missionaries and uh, for so many years, you know, uh, you know, people would risk their life to uh, go to mass, being set in the the countryside on mass rocks, and uh, you know, and so you know, my my grandparents came from Ireland as immigrants, and they they had such a strong faith. They just insisted that you know, my parents and us, you know, went to Catholic schools when Catholic schools were really Catholic, and so it's just it's just so tragic to see that. So we're in danger right now. Mary says, pray. Pray the rosary every every day for world peace. I try to do that. Uh, if I miss one day, I say two the next day. You know, um, uh, and then and then she also said, so many souls are going to hell because so few people are willing to pray and offer sacrifices for them. So besides accepting the suffering that comes to you as a normal part of life, Mary also said, make voluntary sacrifices. So what the children began to do is sometimes they would give up their lunch. Sometimes they would give it to the sheep. Uh, Sometimes they would not drink water on a hot day. And I was talking to a Catholic grade school uh, about Mary's appearances at Fatima, and the, the, the teacher in charge asked them to write down what they got out of it. And I've got, like, I don't have them with me here, but 40 or 50 students wrote down, uh, I'm going to make voluntary sacrifices now. Uh, you know, when, when I have a chance to have candy, I'm going to say no sometimes. Or when my little brother teases me, I'm not going to tease him back. Yes. Or I'm yeah. going to sleep without a pillow tonight. Or uh, the fifth grade boys basketball team decided to give up water during practice, you know, things like that. You know, so it's just sort of like, Little children are capable of understanding the mysteries, you know. So I'd like to say anybody working with little children, anybody who has little children, don't underestimate their ability to understand God. Don't underestimate their ability to make a commitment to him. Don't underestimate their their spiritual sensitivity and how even from an early age they can be called into a journey towards holiness, that type of thing. So anyway— um, People didn't believe the little kids. Their, Lucia's own mother probably never believed her to the day she died. Oh. Uh, she got beaten. Uh, 
you know, so they say, Mary, could you please give a sign uh, that that would, people would believe us? But before that, one, one other thing happened. She gave them a vision of hell uh, in July, this, the third apparition. She gave them a vision of hell, and Lucia, Lucia describes it. Uh, and, and she says it was absolutely terrifying what we saw, the, the shapes kind of, you know, the agony, the the darkness, the ugliness, the foulness of the whole thing. And we, we just were really shaken up. We looked to Mary, and Mary said, this is where poor souls go because they have nobody to pray and offer sacrifice for them. And so every, every day, Jacinta after that would really ask her cousin and her brother, what have you done today to sacrifice for the salvation of souls? You know, so the whole thing is focused on their own personal holiness, but also evangelization, you might speak. They're concerned about others. They're concerned about salvation of souls. They're concerned about loving God, loving their neighbor type of thing. So the day of the miracle of the sun comes in October of 2017, and uh, all the newspapers were there, maybe 70,000 people in the vicinity. Uh, it was a very extremely rainy, muddy day. It took some commitment to get there. At noontime, Lucia shouts out, put down your umbrellas. And uh, all of a sudden, the rain stopped, and the sun began to uh, spin in the sky. And I hadn't really known this before until I read Lucia's firsthand account. The best thing written on Fatima, I think, is uh, Fatima in Lucia's own words. That nothing beats really okay. Nothing I beats have to read this. Yeah, nothing beats the firsthand account of how they experience it. What happened is that the bishop said, Lucia, write down everything you can remember about Jacinta and Francisco after they died. Write down. And nobody knew that the angel had appeared the year before. All they knew is that, you know, Mary came out. So all kinds of things came out when she was being asked to write things down. So that it's called uh, Fatima and Lucia's own words. Fatima and Lucia's own words. Can so, we put a link to that, Neil? So, sometimes people have a hard time finding it. We do stock it at Renewal Ministries, renewalministries.net. But uh, sometimes you can get it on Amazon, too. Um, so the miracle of the sun happens, the sun starts coming down towards the earth, people thought the world was gonna end, so they started out publicly confessing their sins. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They wow. They, they, said they they thought their life was gonna end type of thing. They started publicly repenting, that type of thing. And then afterwards, people felt like a new joy came into their heart, it's like a new Pentecost had come, like there was an infusion of God's grace into the souls of those who were there. Uh, Cardinal Medeiros, former Archbishop of Boston, who's Portuguese, uh, wrote an account of it, and he interviewed a lot of people, and many people said it was like a new Pentecost you know, wow. happening at the end of it. So that's what happened. Uh, Jacinta <laughs> and Francisco died pretty soon. They went through a lot of suffering, very moving accounts by Lucia about Francisco's last days, um, very moving account of Jacinta being willing to suffer more for the salvation of souls. Mary asked her, you know, are you willing to stay a little longer, you know, and for the sake of souls, you know, things like that. So, so I find it very inspiring. I find it very relevant. I, I, I feel like it's um, a warning, a message for us. You know, uh, it's probably the most approved Marian apparition in the church. You know, yeah. Pope, the Pope has gone to it as a feast day, just like Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so one of the hopeful things is that every now and then the Lord does divine interventions you know, and he, he's, he's been doing them through Mary, you know, in, in lots of different ways, you know. Uh, you know, Guadalupe, Fatima, you know, uh, Lourdes, they all have a story about 
why that was a timely time to, to intervene in a particular way. So we can't pin our hopes on an intervention. We have to do what we have to do right now. But the Lord has an eye on things, and Mary has an eye on things. And when, when the time is right, they'll do what they're supposed to do, but we need to be doing what we're supposed to do. Beautiful. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us on the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. This book, I read it a year ago. Because people probably send you books all the time too. Yeah, look Can you at the, put the camera the, on that. Look, well, look at the uh, cover. <laughs> Notre Dame is that it? Yes, yeah. it is, and it's burning. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody who works in a bishop's office in Washington, and totally spontaneously, he said, "We see the statistics. The church is burning." We really, you know, like when you see the like. The I've p- never known somebody who speaks so negatively about the state in which we're in, and yet be so joyful. That's what you do so well. <laughs> well. How can you not be joyful when you know that the Lord's in control? Yeah. Well, anyway, I wanted to say I read that book over a weekend. And uh, people – that's a big book. And uh, people send me books all the time. I'm yeah. sure they send you books all yeah. the time as yeah. well. And, and yeah. I try to read them before the show, and sometimes I don't. And I admit when I don't. But, yeah. but I read that over the course of the weekend. I was so inspired by it. That I, uh, if you remember, I contacted the publisher and said, "Let's let's give a hundred copies away for free," and they agreed to do free shipping. And we broke their website. That's how many people showed up. But I just the only reason I share that is I want people to know I am not just saying this because you're sitting across from me. I think this is a vitally important book, and I would encourage everybody watching right now to go and buy this book now, 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 now. Read it, and then, as Saint Jose Maria Escriva said. Let it collect souls, not dust. Mm, that's great. Well, I was shocked when you bought a hundred copies to give out to people watching. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, that was really, yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an excellent yeah. book. It okay. really is. Okay. One of the topics you addressed in a church in crisis is this waffling on hell and this yeah. uh, universalism. And I just, I just want to, you know, say that. I, I think it seems like we all agree the whole pendulum swing phenomena is a is a legitimate thing, right? Uh, maybe people thought that for too long the church focused too much on hell. Probably didn't, but maybe there was that perception, and we they, we kind of swung the other way where we had these awful hymns that seemed never to talk about the reality of the war in which we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. People constantly said they never heard talk talking about hell. There's a possibility that we're going to see another kind of pendulum swing here, which is mm-hmm. why it's so important that we just stick to what the church teaches. Right. And uh, Ludwig Ott in Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma points to what was it, the sixth session at the Council of Trent, and says that the church has never said that we cannot have uh, uh, a a sort of certainty of our own, not a certainty, but a sort of assurance of our own salvation, but not in a sort of infallible, inerrant sense, because we can apostatize um, and and we might be deluding ourselves. So how, how do we thread this needle? Because... The idea of unending torment forever is enough to cripple someone yeah. entirely, yeah. especially when they already feel like a failure. Yeah. They've been living in a society that's pushed porn down their throat. They're, they're engaged in all sorts of things. It was it was in, even imposed upon them as it was on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm now supposed to love this God, and there's a real possible 
possibility that I will spend eternity in hell. Uh, it's terrifying. Yeah. And yet apparently it's part of Revelation and we're not free to throw it out. Yeah. Well, I, I think the proper balance, which you're talking about really, we really find it in John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a great summary of the gospel. God so loved the world. And it's talking about loving the world in its fallen condition, you know, loving human beings in our fallen condition because it's implying that the world has fallen and is alienated from God and is going to be eternally separated from God. But God doesn't want to leave us or the world in that condition. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Such an expression of profound commitment to humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God forever took upon himself a human nature. And and right now at the right hand of the Father, the man Jesus is there. And uh, and we can be there too. And that's the whole point of the incarnation, that God has joined himself permanently to human nature. And we now can be permanently with God, you know, at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. In fact, Scripture even says our life is even now hidden with Christ in God. So right now, if we're in Christ, we're with him, with the Father. So it's some mysterious, mystical way, but it's pretty significant to be in Christ. Anyway, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him. So it isn't like there's an automatic thing going on here. There's an offer being made here. There's a gift being given. Whoever believes in him may not perish. So there is the possibility of if we don't accept the remedy, we're going to die of the sickness. If we don't accept the medicine that God is offering his own son and what we talk about in the Eucharist, the medicine and immortality, the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist, if we don't accept the gift, if we don't accept the cure, if we don't accept the medicine, we're not going to be cured of the, the horrible death-dealing disease of sin. So whoever believes in him will not perish, may not perish, but have eternal life. So you say, this is a no-brainer, but it's not a no-brainer to us in our fallen condition. We're, we're, we're thrown about by disordered desires, the wounds of original sin. We're living in a culture that's uh, brainwashing us away from God. Uh, and then we know from the testimony of Scripture that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking to devour souls. So the offer of mercy, the offer of love, the offer of eternal life is coming not into a neutral environment, mm. but we are— we're swirling about in lostness. We are swirling about in deception and lies and hatred and lust and greed and envy and jealousy. We're swirling about in a totalitarian dictatorship that wants to seal us off permanently from God. So we got to reach out. We, we got to say, here's my chance. Here's the gift. And we got to take hold of Jesus. We got to put our faith and trust in him. And belief doesn't just mean intellectual belief. Oh, yeah, I believe correct doctrine. Mm -hmm. Orthodoxy is not enough. Orthodoxy is not enough. It's absolutely essential. I spent my whole life fighting for orthodoxy, but orthodoxy is not enough. Relationship, uh, loyalty to Jesus, friendship with Jesus, uh, personal love of Jesus, becoming part of him. You know, scripture says, you know, how dare you? How would you even think of taking the members of Christ and making them members of a prostitute? 
don't you realize that you're one body, one spirit with the Lord? Don't you realize that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you realize that God's dwelling in you? That's who you are. You know, live up to who you are. You know, live up to the holiness that God has placed in you. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live, Matt Fred's interview of Ralph Martin on his Pints with Aquinas podcast. Please join us in the mission of more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom at ilovemyfamily.us. Ooh.